When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Organic architecture usually means buildings that blend into the natural environment, even if they're made of brick, stone, and concrete. But what if these buildings were actually made of organic materials? Architect and designer Neri Oxman believes that could revolutionize the structures we live and work in, and even repair our relationship with the natural world. The dream, sort of looking into the future, is these materials that can change the properties on the fly um, and become from stiff to opaque, from opaque to transparent, from stiff to soft. Um, and I always, I, I like to think of um, uh, reducing that dimensional mismatch between the built and the grown as one that extends or allows to increase the information dimension. Oxman is the founder of the Mediated Matter Group at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. She recently started her own design firm, where she's working on new materials and products that challenge traditional ideas of sustainability. What we're really interested in doing is listening to nature and trying to understand, well, what is the language of nature? Um, do we know how to listen? From The Wall Street Journal, this is The Future of Everything. I'm Danny Lewis. During our Future of Everything Festival in New York, WSJ Health and Science Bureau Chief Stephanie Ilgenfritz spoke with Oxman about how science, technology, and organic design are coming together to reshape the very materials we build with, from 3D-printed glass to biodegradable concrete. That's after the break. This message comes from Viking committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. And now, here's The Wall Street Journal's Stephanie Ilgenfritz, speaking with designer and architect Neri Oxman. We've edited their conversation for time and clarity. I wanted to start with something basic. You practice material ecology. What is material ecology? Material ecology. Material ecology is simply stated as placing, taking materials, the materials with which we design our products, our buildings, our cities, and placing them in an ecological context. So, as architects and designers, we usually uh, design in three dimensions of space, X, Y, and Z. And then the product we design, uh, again, whether it's a product, a building, a city, a wearable, any kind of product that we create, the product is static, it's not responsive, it's not adaptive. But when you look into nature, nature grows things. And those things react and they adapt and they're flexible uh, and they change over time. They actually grow and they develop. I call this a, a dimensional mismatch between what we build and how we grow. There are many, many more dimensions in the natural world. Uh, material ecology aims to reduce 
the dimensional mismatch by adding properties to materials to make them more responsive, more adaptive, more nature-like, more nature-friendly, and ultimately bring together the world of the made and the world of the grown. So you use biological materials, is that right, in the materials that you use to build um, products and structures? So they could be nature-based or bio-based. They could be mineral-based or they could actually have, uh, be made of biological materials as, uh, say, crustaceans or, or um, shrimp shells, for example. But they could also be bio-based or DNA-based. Um, so the, the design of the product always goes hand-in-hand hand with the design of the process to create it. Um, tell, us so, about, tell us about one of them that would give an example of what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so for example, uh, let's start with a glass 3D printer. Um, this was a 3D printer that prints uh, optically transparent glass. And unlike molded glass or blown glass, what this enables is to print glass um, with geometrical features that are independently designed from the external features of the glass. And therefore, you can design optical lenses in architectural scales, uh, which lend themselves to the possibility of harnessing solar energy. So you have now moved from academia to the business world, yes. and you are taking some of the materials that you've developed and the processes to turn into a commercial product. So what, are, what, are, what made you think this was the time to... Uh, make this an, uh, a business model. Yeah, if, if you always do what you always do, you always get what you always got. Uh, and, and it was time after 17 years at MIT to make a change. Uh, I also became a mother. Uh, and in 2020, this was the year that I learned from a good friend of mine at the... Um, Weizmann Institute in Israel, that the anthropomass has exceeded the biomass on our planet. That was a very sad day for us designers. The bio biomass has been exceeded by? The anthropomass. So all things that we humans design and have build built. exceed in mass all of the biomass on our planet. So <laughs> take a moment to in ingest and digest it. Then, and I think it was, so it was coupled with motherhood and with a need to kind of urgently translate some of these ideas uh, that got a lot of publicity through peer-reviewed journals, through exhibitions, uh, and translate them in the real world to make real impact. So what are some of the real world products that you're working on with these materials? Yeah, so we're currently uh, working on three projects in three different scales. So I say the company's motto is nature-centric design, not human-centric design. And when you think through that lens, uh, you start looking at products as sort of uh, equal citizens in the world of uh, nature-centric or nature-informed design. So we're working on a shoe, on a car, on a building, and on a city. And we're working on these four projects at the same time. Um, I'd like to ask you if you think the role of, of design in society is changing, and, and, and how will it change in the future? It's changing, uh, it should change, and it will change. Um, and the reason is that we are now sort of moving from, again, from product to process. Uh, the problems that we're dealing with as humanity, and uh, I mean, just think about it, the geopolitical upheavals, the, the, the war, the pandemic, biodiversity loss, we've never had this great convergence of challenges in a single moment in time. Uh, not that I can remember. Um, and, uh, and to add on top of it, the, the perils of climate change. Um, because of these very complex problems, designers need to move from designing products to designing systems. 
So uh, that means that a product cannot be designed as a sort of a self-sustained product, uh, but the product has a relationship to the environment. The tree has a relationship to the soil. The soil has a relationship to the fungi. The fungi has a relationship to other, uh, other forests, bacteria, etc., etc. So thinking about products as ecosystems is crucial to how we will design in the future. Whether it's healthcare, how does the pill interact with your microbiome? How does the microbiome interact with your wearable? How does your wearable filter vitamins into your skin, how the skin expels these vitamins out into other wearables, etc. Products will be designed in that kind of ecological context, material ecology, uh, and in a systems-based approach. Well, you've talked about doing design on different scales, and from your clothes or, to, 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 or a cup to cities. Um, what, what do you think would be uh, the role of design in cities in the future, especially given that There's, right now, cities are already so built up that that's yeah. what makes them cities. How, how do these principles uh, work with the, that already very you know, concrete, laden infrastructure? And the numbers are scary because it's true what you say. By 2050, we'll have 2.4 billion people added to this planet, which is equivalent to adding greater London every three months for the next 35 years, which is quite astounding. 80% of them will be living in cities. Uh, and so thinking in that context, you know, how do we build additional buildings, but also how do we reuse, recycle, cascade, and maybe reincarnate buildings. And perhaps uh, some small-scale structures will be reincarnated and become you know, other products and other, other types of buildings. So, how, how, how would that work? Do you mean re for different camp. purposes? Or? So, yeah, for example, a refugee camp um, that is made of biodegradable material would melt in the rain once the refugees find you know, a safe haven. And uh, in, in its place will grow a forest. And that kind of thinking about not recycling, but reincarnation, not reuse or cascading, which is the, the go-to term today in sustainable design across the board and across scales and across verticals, uh, moving to, uh, in my opinion, to, to that notion of reincarnation. The material has a soul and the soul you know, finds expressions in, across scales, across different eras, uh, well beyond our lifetime. I always say the best designs are the designs that exceed our lifetime. And if we're designing a product that is only used for our lifetime, we're probably doing the wrong thing. After the break, how do you sell your neighbors on a sustainably designed building if they don't like the way it looks? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech. Well, what do you think of the current state of what is referred to as sustainable design? For instance, there is a tower going up in the corner of 47th and Park Avenue that's getting a lot of attention for uh, uh, the claims that it has uh, special technologies to conserve water, that it has exterior materials that will reflect heat and, and, uh, and mean that it will need less cooling. Uh, is that state of the art? It's state of the art in architecture. It's great. Uh, and I support it, and I think it's great that we're seeing this kind of innovation, but it is still what I call compositional, meaning let's add you know, this for circulation, this you know, kind of 
bumping up the functionality of each of those objects that make up the, the whole. But if you think about, again, about organisms in nature, it's not really how they work. There's a um, nervous system that acts across the body and controls various organs of the body, etc. So um, the dream, sort of looking into the future, is these materials that can change the properties on the fly um, and become, again, from stiff to opaque, from opaque to transparent, from stiff to soft. Um, and I always, I, I like to think of um, uh, reducing that dimensional mismatch between the built and the grown as one that extends or um, allows to increase the information dimension. So think about materials as software. Um, the more you can turn a, a helmet into a kind of a wearable nervous system, um, you know, you could use it as an interface that gets information from your body and projects information to the cloud. And that's sort of where we're at now, sort of thinking about these links uh, between what's in the organism and what's out there. And that's certainly not quite what that building is doing yet. Not yet. Um, the designer of that building, Foster and Partners, is, I have to ask you about this, is also designing your new home, which is a glass penthouse in the Upper West Side. And I know it's gotten some criticism from neighbors. And what I want to ask you about that is, because you've spoken about how design uh, can uh, uh, build communities. So what do you do when the community doesn't agree? What do you do when they don't, either they don't like your design or they say, you know, there's a difference between this is great because it's using materials that are from nature like sand to make glass, but another person looks at it and says, I don't want to see into your living room. Look, I think a plurality of ideas and the diversity of opinions is always a good thing. Um, but more than that, what's important is to be open. So to your question, the answer is this. We open our arms uh, and we hug and love and hug and accept. Um, and, and I'd say mind and heart. So beyond, beyond truly being open to the neighbors and um, being receptive and um, welcoming, I'd say we've worked together on this and we've enjoyed the process so much, um, and, and study, uh, study it for what it is, um, and try to understand truly uh, the environmental benefits, the structural benefits, um, and the investment of knowledge and of, of scientific expertise that is now going into, uh, into making this uh, a reality. So I'm excited about it, uh, and I look forward to working with our neighbors to, to make it uh, uh, to make it a sustainable project, both environmentally, but also uh, neighborly, so socially. <laughs> so one of, one of the things, hallmarks of a lot of your design uh, is that they, are, they look very organic and they are made of very organic materials, but you've spoken about how they, the production of them is a, also a computational process. Yes. So, so what kind of data do you use? How does the data inform what you do and how does, how does, how does that work? Yes, so every project is a little bit different. Um, uh, but I'd say there's a, it's sort of a combination of top-down design and bottom-up growth. And it really depends whether we're working with a bio-based material or not. Um, with the glass printer, the hallmark of the project was really the technology. Before the glass printer existed, we couldn't even predict the behavior of, uh, of that viscous fluid mathematically or physically speaking. And what was so cool that was this technology created new science. So there, the data that went into the project was all sort of centered around that end effector uh, that we designed to enable us to spit out or to extrude uh, the molten glass in very high temperature and high levels of control. But on the other hand, um, a project that began as sort of a very conceptual uh, 
you know, artistic project that asks what might living product look like and what does it mean? And because we're able to design at this incredibly high resolution that's native to the technology, in this case the printer, uh, we're able to either vary the elastic moduli or control the optical properties, control the chemical properties by, for example, uh, including or incorporating fluids um, in the product so that it can respond to its environment. So that, again, increases the dimensional space of the design space that was up until now just X, Y, and Z. So, and so in this case, you could start with your scan, the brain scan, um, or a scan of your limbs, what, you know, whatever it may be, and look at the resolution. And by the way, the resolution of the printer is now 20 times the resolution of the CT scanner. So you can you know, attach, if you're designing, let's say, a wearable or a fixture to your body, um, that wearable could be designed as far as the scanner can see it. So you can say, okay, for this residual bone tissue, I want something soft. For this muscle tissue or fatty tissue, I want something stiff, and so on and so forth. Um, so it gives you that extra resolution. And you know, we talked about scale. Uh, would technologies like this that, that make a product more interactive with your body, do you envision buildings, whole buildings that are like that, that people interact with uh, physically or...? I do. Uh, it, it will take time. The smaller the product, the faster the translation. And that's always the case. Architecture sort of lasts to, to celebrate. Um, and it just takes more time. Um, but yeah, I think buildings over time, and we've done this with a concrete printer that was acquired by NASA a few years ago uh, to, uh, to look into printing with variable density concrete as a response to, um, uh, to, to mechanical load. Uh, so again, while the concrete is static, it's not yet dynamic, uh, if you look at the microscale, or if you look at the microscope uh, and look at the structure of the concrete, you'll be able to identify pores that vary their size as a function of the anticipated load. So whether it's a static material that is like concrete, or whether it's a dynamic material like wood, or a bio-based material that is inoculated with bacteria, um, there, there are always opportunities to kind of hack in the intelligence of that material. What, what we're really interested in doing is listening to nature and trying to understand, well, what is the language of nature? Um, do we know how to listen? That's architect and designer Neri Oxman. She spoke with The Wall Street Journal's Stephanie Ilgenfritz at the Future of Everything Festival. And we want to hear from you. Would you want to live in a biodegradable building? Let us know. We're on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was produced by me, Danny Lewis. Jessica Fenton is our sound designer. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. And Kateri Yoakum is the Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. Thanks for listening.